seeing as this is my first ever gravel race. Uh, but yeah, can't wait to get stuck in. I think it's going to be brilliant crack. I'm anticipating you breaking your teeth. <laughs> it's episode 564 of the Roadman Cycling Podcast. And Sarah's back with more newbie questions. The big question is this. How do we use cycling as a tool to improve our health, our happiness and our longevity? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Anthony Walsh, and welcome to the Roadman Podcast. Hey, Sarah. Welcome back to another episode of Newbie Questions. Welcome, Sarah. Welcome, everybody. Yeah, it's good to be back. Uh, Loads of questions this week. There's a lot going on in the cyclone world this weekend coming up, isn't there? So loads of interesting stuff. And it's starting close enough to home with Sarah's long-awaited, <laughs> much-anticipated debut on the gravel racing scene. Anthony, um, I'm still away. I'm down at my mom's and Anthony called me yesterday and he's like, are you looking forward to your race? And I was like, it's a race. <laughs> I thought this is more of a, you know, yay for participation kind of a thing. <laughs> Do you think there's going to be people lining up for your autograph? <laughs> I doubt it. Maybe throwing stuff at me. <laughs> But if you are there, if you're at the race tomorrow, tell them about the race, Anthony. It's going to be so much fun. Yeah, so actually, yeah, it was a yesterday's podcast. I threw out a little bit of a preview on the race. I think there's two courses, 100k and a 50k. The 100k has... Big dog, little dog. Just short of a 2,000 meters elevation on the big one and half that on the little one. It's like 84% gravel or something like that. The stats are in yesterday's podcast, but it's going to be a big day out. Yeah, it's going to be a big, big day. So you're doing big dog. I'm doing little dog. And I have a note here to say, is is there a puppy version? Because I feel that. And and listeners, Anthony has donated me his gravel bike that he's had all the issues with the DI2 on. So everybody, if you could just light a candle for me, <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> Keep me in your thoughts tomorrow. <laughs> and it's not back yet it's not fixed just yet it's not back yet so yeah let watch this space but yeah i can't wait to get back next week and report on how i did seeing as this is my first ever gravel race uh but yeah can't wait to get stuck in i think it's gonna be brilliant crack i'm anticipating you breaking your teeth <laughs> yeah teeth can be replaced but memories can't <laughs> <laughs> funny funny story actually my sister lost basically all of her teeth cycling on the waterford cycleway a couple of years ago i have no idea how that's possible there's no cars there's no rough terrain it's just a cycle path she fell off and broke her teeth all of them i'm pretty sure that was alcohol fuel there's a few drinks involved yeah there's a few drinks involved she hasn't been on her bike since <laughs> Philippe Ogana is going for the world error record and we're looking at potentially breaking Chris Boardman's old records, which has now been outlawed by the UCI because of that Superman position. But if Ghana puts down the ride that he's capable of in the 460 watt region for an error, which we're led to believe he can do, this could be a record that really stands the test of time. Yeah, this is going to be amazing. 55.548 kilometers in an hour. That's the record that Ghana has to beat. And that record, I think, was given to us by a guy called Bingham, wasn't it? A, a British guy called Bingham, who uh, who did it quite recently. I think he's he's on the, he's actually advising Ghana at the moment on his, what are you, what are you laughing at over there? Because <laughs> it's like a, a guy called Bingham. Yeah, so Dan Bingham is probably the foremost aerodynamic <laughs> expert in the world. And he is someone I'd love to get on the podcast actually. So he's the head of aerodynamics for Team Ineos, but he's also an amazing bike rider 
in his own right. So the idea with Ghana going to break Victor Carpenarts' record was to test the equipment. So they tested a new Pinarello 3D printed bike and bars, which lets them mold shapes that they typically couldn't do with a regular carbon mold. So everything on Ghana's bike has been pre-tested by Dan Bingham. Ghana won't be as aero as Bingham just because the the size of the man, but he's going to put down a lot more power. So with some rough calculations before we came on air, I'm reckoning if he hits the reported 460 watts for the hour, we could see 57 tumble, which would break Chris Boardman's record as the furthest anyone's ever traveled in an hour. Do you know how many kilometers Chris Boardman did, even though it was... It was deemed, uh, you know, he was disqualified. I think he's 56.5 or 56.4. Okay, okay. That's going to be absolutely brilliant. He, he wasn't disqualified. It was, he was retrospectively written out of the history books because okay. he had an aerodynamic position. He was in this battle for trying to find new aerodynamic positions and he found the position and it was legal at the time, but they subsequently went back and said that position's actually too aero and it's too dangerous and we don't want people replicating it. So we're banning the record. And is that the guy who did the, uh, the Scottish guy who kind of came up with all these weird and wonderful uh, techniques of getting aero himself, bearings, and is that the same person? That's Graeme Aubrey. So Graeme Aubrey okay. and Chris Boardman had this real power struggle between the two of them. And it's an amazing story because it's David versus Goliath. Chris Boardman funded by British Cycling, Graeme Aubrey self-funded, unemployed in Scotland, and a real just engineer and tweaking stuff like using bearings from washing machines and Aubrey had taken the air record Boardman took it back Aubrey took it again it'd be an amazing podcast to just compare and contrast their two approaches to the air record do a deep dive on it yeah um maybe I'll tackle it one of these days for my Saturday podcast Anthony but um yeah that is something to really look forward to I can't wait to watch that hour record um the other thing that's happening this weekend is the first ever gravel worlds so the first ever gravel world champs are happening tomorrow uh, in Italy. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about the gravel worlds. It's a debate within gravel cycle. I'm not sure how much you've been following this, Sarah, because this gravel worlds is a UCI sanctioned championships. Now, the thing with gravel, it's popped massively on non-UCI events. Like the biggest gravel race in the world is Dirty Kanza are now unbound and it's not a UCI sanctioned race. So the UCI needs gravel a lot more than gravel needs the UCI. So most of the top gravel riders in the world are not traveling to support a UCI sanctioned race, but we're seeing you know a cohort of them who are supporting these races. So the gravel world is very much split on whether UCI involvement in gravel is a good thing or not. So in, maybe in Gravel's eyes, this would be a very unofficial world champion because the, the strongest guys in the world aren't all there. Yeah, exactly. I think we're. I think uh, Nicholas Roach is heading over for Ireland and um, it will still be good to watch it. They're going to host it over in the exact same location next year as well. And I had a little look at the course. It's 194 kilometers for the guys, 140 for the women. It says here 36% unpaved roads, 18% hard gravel, 1% cobble, 17% hard surface and 27% asphalt. The maths doesn't really add up here because that adds up to 99 percent, <laughs> so it's completely unclear as to what the other one percent is so <laughs> maybe it's to do for, it's maybe it's for airtime or something i don't know but yeah that's uh that's gonna be really interesting i for one will definitely be tuning into that one 
Okay, Sarah, hit me with some newbie questions. Okay, let's go. Anthony, who is your favorite GC rider, climber, sprinter, and TT specialist? They say, not the best ever, but your favorite ever. The answer to all them questions is web fun art. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, you can can literally just, if if you know nothing about cycling folks, okay, and cycling comes up in work at the water cooler, just say web fun art. It'll just get you out of a load of of situations. Yeah, we, we could have added in cyclocross rider, track rider into that. And the answer still would have been wealth fan art. Are you serious though? You don't have another GC rider, you know, TT specialist? No, I, lo- I like Welsh. I like Welsh. I like to see the like to see the plus 75 kilo riders doing well. And yeah, Welsh's been, been killing on all them. Yeah, plus 75 kilos. I love that. That's, that's your kind of why you support people now. None of these like 58 kilo riders. It's all about the 75 plus. Yeah. Second question: With the error record due to be broken this weekend by Filippo Ganna, can you explain what the difference between doing it at sea level or altitude is, and why? That's a good question. I think it's a little presumptuous with due to be broken this weekend. <laughs> uh, Filippo Ganna hasn't had a brilliant season, and he roll the clock back two years ago when he was the best time trialist in the world but now we have a bunch of guys who are his equal or better so I definitely don't think it's an assumption that he's going to get it we've seen Alex Dowsett going at the record and missing Carpenter's record now obviously Ghana is part of that team Ineos machine who are just seem to have an unlimited budget I think it's Radcliffe that owns Ineos and he just has an unlimited mm-hmm. budget for these things like the Kipchoge project too and this is another one of them so I hope he gets it. I think it'd be brilliant to see, but it's definitely not a foregone conclusion. He's going at the record in Switzerland. A lot of people choose to go at the record in Ascaliente in Mexico because of the altitude in Mexico. Uh, The air is less dense at altitude. So with less air density, you travel through air faster but it's a trade-off because the air is less dense it's difficult to get the same amount of oxygen in per breath so your threshold typically comes down but the payoff i'm led to believe is net better your threshold comes down but you're traveling through the air faster so it's a a net win-win so he is doing it at altitude it's just he's not as high up as the place in mexico that people tend to kind of go and tackle this yeah, he's doing it in Switzerland. I'm not exactly sure what altitude it's at, but altitude and pressure are the two real things they look at. And you can be sure that Ineos have figured out and this is the best place to go at it. It's the same place Dan Bigham went at the record. Okay. And you've raced track before and have you been at high altitudes when you've been racing? No, I've never raced a high altitude track. They're a, they're a lot faster. Okay, one more question, Anthony. Um, winter is coming and I heard you and Sarah mentioning having mud guards as a rule on group rides. I'm a member of a new cycling club in Leeds and I want to know, is there anything else that we should make mandatory, like lights, winter tires? Yeah, we don't have a mandatory mud guard uh, rule on the group rides. It is nice etiquette, I think, to have uh, a mud guards on the group ride, but I think any of those rules that are exclusionary are a little bit shit. Like, what if there's a kid that's just kind of forward mud guards, he's not allowed to go training anymore? Uh, I don't really like those rules. But I think there is, if it's a lashing wet day, it is nice to have 
mudguards in the group. It's a nice rule of thumb. And then you can almost subdivide mudguards into mudguards to protect you or mudguards that protect others, like the selfish mudguard I call the ass saver. Because the person behind you still gets absolutely rinsed out of it, but it, it saves your arse from getting soaked. And then you have like the full length ones, which shockingly, I just bought a beautiful set of full length Canyon mudguards for my winter bike. And now I've given that bike to Sarah. So she's <laughs> going to inherit those Canyon mudguards. And that just dawned on me and that's hard to take. <laughs> I think a rear light is a great idea as the evenings and even the days are a little bit duller, especially if you're kind of Ireland, UK or mainland Europe where visibility is just not brilliant. Winter tires, I like, I don't like the puncture a lot, but what I like less than puncturing is hospital food. So I typically don't go for anything that's super puncture resistant because it's normally a very hard rubber, which doesn't corner well in wet or on leaves. So I just try and change out my tires often and still use something that's grippy. Uh, other than that, I think just having good overshoes, good gloves, and a decent spread of kit that's going to cover you for different conditions, like an old school plastic rain cape. Like you can't beat one of them because anytime you stop, you put on the rain cape, even if it's not raining. And it's like literally better than like a seven, 800 euro jacket. It will keep you warmer than anything. And like, that's my go-to for every single train and ride over the winter. Yeah. And I think you're right about making things mandatory for uh, group rides. I think that's a bad avenue to go down, but I am all for everybody having responsibility for themselves and their kit. I mean, <laughs> I have heard the mudguard rule before and the lights rule before, you know, but uh, yeah, I think it's uh, each to their own with uh, with a lot of these rules. I mean, next thing they'd be making full fluorescent from head to toe mandatory clubs so yeah i just think everybody should take responsibility for themselves okay we ready to move on to tech corner yes i believe you have some tech for us this week yes i do so i was on instagram during the week and i saw matt stevens who is a friend of the show um and he was on instagram now he said he's he wasn't being paid to advertise this product but this is so interesting. He was there full front and center with an angle grinder trying to get through this bike lock that he is kind of, as I said, not promoting, but he said is very, very good. So this company called Light Lock X, they have created the first full size angle grinder resistant lock in the world. So they said that basically bikes are getting lighter and locks are getting heavier, but they've created the lightest, most flexible and insurance rated bike and motorcycle locks on the planet. So it showed Matt with the angle grinder and he could not get through this. They say that one of the versions, the cheaper version is five times more angle grinder resistant and the more expensive version is 15 times more angle grinder resistant and they're about 1.9 kilograms in weight. So for those, you will pay about 170 quid. So is that worth it? You said Matt Stevens isn't getting paid for this, Sarah, but are you getting paid for that? That like I just think this, I think this plug. I think there's no, we're not getting paid for it at all. I just think that this is brilliant because you see so many videos of bikes in cities or anywhere just getting robbed, you know, young fellas in with their angle grinders and they're gone with your bike and people are afraid to approach them because they threaten them with the angle grinders. So I just think that this is 
this is absolutely brilliant. But what I don't get here is like, it's either angle grinder resistant or it's not angle grinder resistance. What's the idea of it's five times more angle grinder resistant or it's 15 times more angle grinder resistance? Like I thought it couldn't go through it with an angle know. grinder. I don't know. You'll have to get the, the designer on to the podcast and chat with them about it. Apparently it takes between 10 and 12 seconds for a normal lock to be completely broken by an angle grinder. So I'm guessing this <laughs> takes more time. I'm not sure. So what, it takes uh, 12 seconds multiplied by five for the first angle grinder resistance one. But there's a there's there's a waiting list for this lock online. So obviously it's 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 doing something right. But that's because you and Matt Stevens are getting heavily paid to promote this lock. I'd love to get uh, promoted <laughs> to do some work at Matt Stevens. I love him. Oh, and the other thing about it is the lock itself. It says, I love this, is the most pick-proof lock available. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Uh, I think we've had quite enough of your spammy messages for this week, Sarah. <laughs> if they want to come and sponsor the show, hit me up. <laughs> yeah, because if you get my Canyon bike robs, we won't be talking again. Sarah, thanks for joining me. And Sarah's going to be back tomorrow for a solo cast. Could it be Aubrey versus Chris Borman? <laughs> Who knows? You'll have to wait. Take care, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Have you ever wondered how good you could actually be? Each of us has a unique set of circumstances with work, family and social obligations, but we also want to fulfill our potential in cycling. Okay, okay, maybe you won't ever win the Tour de France, but for most of us, this is what cycling is about. So let us build you the perfect training plan around your lifestyle that's totally unique to you and will help you finally realize your cycling dreams. So whether you're just getting started on the bike or if you're a more seasoned cyclist, we have a suitable coach for you. So why not schedule a call with us and we can have a chat about how we can help you go further than you ever dreamed of in your cycling and fitness goals. Go to roadmancycling.com forward slash contact or pop me an email directly to sarah at roadmancycling.com.